All right, welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast. Your host, Kari Way Frazier, here with one of my favorite people in Detroit right now that I'm featuring as I talk about the visual artists. She's more than just art, she's culture. She's a great person to know and also one of the funniest people I've ever known. She used to always get on me for playing loud, loud music when I was in a studio next to where she resided. And Nadir would step in and say, you know, she lives next door. And I'm like, but I got to listen to Jeezy, Nadir. And then <laughs> Jocelyn Rainey would come over and say, turn it down, turn it down, turn it down. She'd be trying to sleep to get ready to take care of what we were talking about. The Angels right here on the West Campus of the WC3 Compound. Doing it the right way. Jocelyn Rainey, the visual artist. As she is giving us the Jordan flu game, as I said. She's fighting through the cold. Talking to you guys. About to give you guys what I know. She has the essence of so much of what's eclectic. So much of what's art so much of what style so much of what's lifestyle the culture of detroit jocelyn rainey welcome to the detroit is different what up though what's going down what's going down so with that the first question that i gotta ask is as a visual artist how has detroit inspired you as far as looking at the colors looking at the images and looking at the feel of detroit because so many people talk about detroit as like it's like seattle is so gray it's so many not dark not light days and ah, it gets me down how does the image of detroit inspire you as a visual artist well i mean the people inspire me okay and the landscape inspire me but just, i guess it's just depends on who's looking if you're just looking through gray colored glasses, I guess it is dark. But if you look at through rose colored glasses, you see all the colorful things in Detroit. Okay, definitely. Okay, now as you talk about the gray and the rose colored glasses, what are some of your favorite places that you like to look at just in the city of Detroit? What are the beautiful images you find here? I love Belle Isle. Okay. Belle Isle is like one of the places that I can find peace i can find all types of greens and blues and yellows i love bell um and um i like downtown too but i like the neighborhoods i like the colorful people that's in the neighborhoods um eastern market i mean it just depends on where i am you know at that time so Okay, now we talked about Belle Isle. I like to do a lot of introductions to it. What was the first time you went to Belle Isle? Well, the first time I went to Belle Isle, I was uh, young, and my aunt took me to Belle Isle, and um, she cooked breakfast like at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. That is early. And, um, I mean, she set it up. You know, she was cooking it, but she didn't wake me and my brothers up to, you know, it was time to eat. But it was... I mean, that was a beautiful setting. I mean, you know, we all went to Belle Isle when we was young, so. Okay. All right. So other than Belle Isle, Eastern Market, and so much other things, let's talk a little bit more about your family and your journey. Uh, what brought your family to the city of Detroit? Um, like everybody, you know, the job market. Um, my grandfather came from North Carolina mm-hmm. and um, came to work, you know, for Ford, like everybody else. My, my great-grandfather. And um, that's how our family migrated here. Okay. Whereabouts in North Carolina? Um, I don't know. Okay. But you just know it was North Carolina. I just know it was North Carolina. I'm sure I knew at one point, but right now I don't know. 
Okay, now with that, where did they live? Do you remember that some of those first homes that you guys stayed at, the neighborhood? Well, I know you wouldn't know. I then, wouldn't know, but but I think the they lived on. When I hear the stories, I think they lived. Um, you know, they lived in the Black Bottom. Okay, and so, um, but I remember we always lived on the East Side. So, um, I grew up on the East Side of Detroit. So, okay, East Side of Detroit. Okay, now the East Side is one of those places, like I tell people all the time, especially when it comes to hip-hop. So many other artists come from over there. Yeah. Like, almost like most of Detroit hip-hop is based right there on the East Side. So, along your journey and growing up right there on the East Side, who were some of the other artists and some of the people in your crew as you were coming up? <laughs> I can't even remember, but I know that on the East Side, the things that we used to do, we used to rap, sing skate, uh -huh. dance, we partied a lot, you know. Okay. Who was some of your favorite DJs or places that you go to hang out? When now? Then. Oh, I don't know. I can't even remember those people. Okay. All right. Now, as you talk about not remembering those people, let's talk about <laughs> some of those things you do remember as the people you remember. Mason. Mason was one of my favorite DJs. Mason. Okay. All right. So... Along with that, as we move forward to now, as you transition right now, as you have that strong family hold, but now you're a part of the Detroit artist community, uh, definitely well-known in that community. So who are some of the people that you are now hanging out with in, in that artist community that you interact with that have grown to be a part of your family? Oh, wow. That's a lot of people. Okay, we got time. I mean, no, I can't name them all, but I will say that I'm a part of the National Conference of Artists, uh, the Michigan chapter, which is located at um, um, in the Northwest uh, Activity Center on Myers. Um, through them, I've I've met a lot of artists. You know, a lot of wonderful artists. Okay. Uh, I know a lot of DJs, Stacy Hale, uh, uh, Alton Miller. I mean, you know, I know a lot of DJs. I know a lot of people, and all of these people have become, you know, a part of my life and um so okay it's unique. i like house djs it's unique that you talk about that it's like a connection between music and like all the arts and you always talk about if your artists get around other artists what right. do you think the connection between visual artists and music how how does that lie like what what do you think draws us together i mean i think creativity draws us together and i i meant to um mention derrick may too but I think uh, creativity draws us together because through, like, DJs create a story through um, mixing, you know. Like, they create this energy and this story while you're on it. And you, as the, the person that's hearing this, you know, you interpret it by your dance. Hmm. And so we all connect. Um, nothing when it comes to the art is disconnect. So if I'm stumped on doing some art, I'm going to listen to music, I'm going to dance, I'm going to look at other visual artists, I'm going to read, and that's the time for me to, um, and all of us, to gather more information. Okay. Yeah, that, I never really thought about it like that within the mixing. When you paint or when you do any of your other pieces, are you usually listening to music? Most of the time I'm listening to music, but sometimes... But it's different types of music. It depends mm -hmm. on the mood that I'm in. I could be listening to hip-hop, 
Uh, I could be listening to house. I could be listening to jazz. I could be listening to um, classical music. It just depends on the mood that I'm in. And so um, and sometimes it could be silent, you know. Um, it, I mean, I'm not, it's not one formula. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying, you know. Okay, now as we talk about that in that whole process of being an artist, uh, I'm gonna mention the hip hop artist Stretch Money. Actually, when we were when we were talking, and he was like, you know, it's different when you start doing this, and then you start feeling like you're good at what you're doing. As a visual artist, coming over that hump because it's a lot of people that draw images and sketches and everything, and definitely with your story, it's so unique. It's what led you to be a visual artist, but when did you start feeling more and more confident about being the type of visual artist that is strong and strong enough to have showings and welcome people to see what you're doing? Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think because I was in art college that they push you to show your work and have critiques and, um, you know, sessions like that. So either you're going to get strong or you're going to fail. So for me, a failure wasn't a, um, you know, that that wasn't one of the things that I, I take lightly, and mm -hmm. I'm I don't like to fail at anything. So, mm -hmm. um, I don't think that. I think that I'm good. I think that I'm confident in what I create because I believe in it. And when you believe in something that you create, then you're able to set it out to the world and say, look, this is what I created. Mm -hmm. and, and you believe in it. You don't care if people like it or if they don't like it. You hope they get some type of feeling from it. You don't want them to just walk past it. You want them to be like, well, I don't like that. Such a, and that's, that's cool because it's personal. Mm -hmm. So um, if I believe in it, I can put it out there. But if I don't, if I'm not sure of it or if I don't believe in a piece that I've made, I'm not going to put it in, in front of the public. Okay. What was the first piece that you remember making where you were like, okay, I really like this? Um, probably something I completed in, in college when I finally learned how to paint and finally was able to, you know, um, create a, a, a piece that was just done, you know. And so I think that that probably was it. I don't know. What was the piece? I don't even remember. Hmm. But I'm sure that I liked it. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. I, I know with the creative process, when I write songs, sometimes, as I say it, my, my ears get tiresome. So I always wonder if that it's like that for the visual artist. My cousin paints stuff, and it's like, it's stuff that you can't even see that's going on in this picture. And I'm like, I guess so. But when I say my ears get tired, it's like, first, I either have a beat, and sometimes I don't have a beat for a song. But either right. way, I'm, I hear the lyrics in my head first. Right. And then after I hear the lyrics in my head, then I go to the studio and I record the song. Then after I record the song, we go through the mixing process. And then we go through the mastering process. And through that whole process and those series of steps, it's certain things I'm hearing in the song that other people may not hear, even when it's like I'm writing the song. Right. So when you're painting something, do you see the image of what you're painting in your head first? Or is it one of those things where you just get a feeling as you go? It's not, it's not one formula, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, so... I'm sure that sometimes you might not hear a lyric, you might hear a beat first. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, it just depends on where you are. What are you doing at, at that time in life that you, um, you know, and I create with different medium. So it's not one way. I just create. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. How often do you stay working at different pieces? Like, are you working on like five pieces at a time, one piece at a time until completion? Because I know I'll work on oh, yeah. 10 songs at a time. You know we'll work on multiple things. Okay. Because you have to keep moving, you know. You don't want to get bored with your own work, with mm-hmm. creating. And so you work on multiple pieces and you might set this one aside. You might think it's finished, but after you finish these other pieces, you look and you understand that this piece needs to have a little more orange and blah, 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 blah. So you go back and forth. And, um, you know, the old saying is like, if if your artwork is in, still in your studio, it's not finished. It's only finished once it leaves your studio. Hmm. So that's the, you know, the thing about being a visual artist. You're going to always go back and work on it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, within that whole piece, have you ever been surprised as if sometimes I'm surprised the way that people interpret one of my songs? Like, has someone ever bought one of your pieces and then they frame it and put it in a room and you see it and it just makes you see it in a whole different light the way that they interpret it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, I have some work at um, the fish market. And once they put the pieces up on the wall... Um, it 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 just changed, you know. It went, once it leave your once it leaves your studio, it's just like having kids. You raise these kids, and you you know these children, and you put all this into them, and then you let them go out into the world, and they be a whole different person. So that's what it is like with your artwork. Uh, Whoseever hands it gets into, um, the way they hang it, where they hang it, it changes the piece, but it doesn't change the meaning for me. But mm-hmm. it just changed the look, you know, when I look at it. Okay. And within that, and I didn't even know so much about this process of framing. And shout out to Eric's You've Been Framed. And, I, and it, was <laughs> a, it was a piece I had framed. But I didn't even know so much of the artistry and the science of framing a piece. But the frame matters a whole lot from his explanation. And mm-hmm. now as I look at pieces more so, so even with that and seeing things get framed and things framed properly, What's your suggestion to the person like me that's not necessarily like a, a novice in gathering an art collection about going about framing pieces, hanging pieces, and learning how to do things where it truly adds to the experience of the piece? This is no slam to the people that frame, but, uh-huh. uh, but to the collectors, the young collectors, your framing should not cost more than your artwork. Okay. Because the artwork is where the true value is. Because when, if you put your, if you have original artwork and you have a house and you have, or you have rentals insurance, you can put that artwork onto your insurance. You can't put that frame onto your insurance. Mm-hmm. So you got to understand the value and which, uh, where your value lies. Your value lies in the artwork and not in the framing. So if you spend five hundred dollars on framing and you buy a piece for two hundred fifty. You just flipped yourself. Uh-huh. So, um, but framing, I'm, that's not against framing. But framing is beautiful, you know. I mean, framers do a great job. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, for the person starting that whole art collection, if you're a novice like me, mm-hmm. 
where should I go to start off this collection? Where should I be connecting with artists? How can I meet them? How do I grow my collection? Start at the art colleges. I mean, start with the young artists. You know, mm -hmm. it, it just depends on, if you're not buying artwork for history's sake, you should start with the young artists if you're a young collector. Mm -hmm. So you see um, artists at the college, you know, go see what they're doing. If you like some, you know, purchase it. Okay. All right. And within that, what should we be going with? How, how should we, like, how much money should you have to say to yourself, all right, I'm going to help this young artist out. I want to have X on hand. No, you're not helping the young artist. You're helping yourself. Okay. So you're investing in your own well-being. That's what art is all about. Mm -hmm. And so um, you go in and, you know, Talk to the artists. I mean, figure out what you got. See what they got. I mean, that's how you have to start. And buy what you like. Okay. Because you got to put it on your wall. You have to look at it. And if you don't like it, you're going to be mad. And mm -hmm. then you ain't going to buy no art for a while. Just <laughs> buy what right. you like. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. But then buying what you like, when will people be able to see some more of your pieces soon? When do you have another collection open to people to come experience what you got going down? May 30th, I'll be at Dale Pryor Galleries down in uh, Midtown. Um, I have an opening there. Okay. Yeah. How many pieces will you have? I don't know yet. <laughs> Are they all done? No, they're not. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on in the show, so I don't know if they're done yet. Okay. All right. That makes sense. How long have you been working with uh, that gallery? Oh, that was the first gallery I showed when I graduated from uh, Wayne State in 1998. Dale Pryor was my first gallery um, professional um, show. Okay, is it going to be like wine and cheeses and like... Uh... You know how we do. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get you drunk so you can spend your money. <laughs> wine, loosen up those pockets. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. I feel that. Um <laughs> Along with that whole thought process, just in the sense of, like, with the art show, I'm definitely going to want people to go there. You have something else coming up at Charles Wright where you're going to be showing this documentary as you expand all your artistry, as you were talking about, yeah. with now being a director, an editor, a producer. <laughs> you are the eclectic force. Well. Like Gordon Parks <laughs> in the artistry I, right I, now. I wouldn't say that, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So May 29th. Um, at Charles H. Wright Museum, we will um, show Finding Mona Lisa 313, the documentary, um, in its entirety okay. at um, 7 o'clock. It starts at 7 o'clock. It's from 7 to 11. So it'll be a big event, you know. And we have music, food. Um, it's going to be Black Hollywood. So y'all yeah. better come on Red Carpet Affair. You feel me? I'm I'm not necessarily a part of that per se, but I will be in effect for that event. <laughs> I'm there in full effect. You gonna do your podcast? <laughs> I may actually, you know what? I may want to sit down if you give me some people to interview. We can do a special. Detroit is different. I can talk to some of the little yeah. homies. I've been across the world, interview them, ask them some questions like this and where they're from and their journey and how was it there and and I, the questions I'm about to ask you is how do you see the Detroit connection interacting with people across the world? 
how were the students in other places as I'm about to give a little bit of a premise of what this is. Jocelyn, if you can look at Detroit is different, you can read the story that I talked about in her, my Detroit story. But Jocelyn right now has been a part of an initiative that she's launched not just by herself, but along with herself and the help of her artistry and other people supporting, but really a community effort of students from Detroit Public Schools uh, to go across the world and experience artistry across the world. And it begins, that's why it's called Finding Mona Lisa. It was a challenge more so to our students to say, where's the Mona Lisa? Can we see this Mona Lisa? And that challenge was met where she actually took the students to see the Mona Lisa and ask them, what did you think of it? Was it what you expected? How do you see it? And just interpreting this whole idea of being in the loo, being in Paris and experience artistry that is seen as some of the best artistry classically in world history. So this has taken students not just now to Paris, but also to Egypt, also to China, also to Japan and so many other places. And it's a documentary documenting this where over the years, she's committed herself to these students, as right now we're sitting in WC3, where she interacts with so many students as a dean here. But this is so unique and powerful. This documentary will talk about that. What is it like seeing a student and so many people that live in Detroit seeing an international view of not just something international, but artistry internationally? How do the students respond? Well, the student, the, the thing was that we wanted to um, show, take the students to see the artwork with, that they were learning about in art history mm -hmm. and to make sure that they, um, you know, experience the culture where that artist, you know, was born and where they was raised and where that art sits. And so... Through the arts, we were able to um, create these world citizens, which are the students from the city of Detroit. And I was working at an all-boys school for 10 years, all males. And so I took those guys in 2007 to Paris um, to find the Mona Lisa. And that's what we did. Their first, they were shocked when they got to see the Mona Lisa because it was so small that they didn't believe it was the Mona Lisa. But I you know, had to um, really encourage them to understand that we didn't fly all the way to Paris to see the fake Mona Lisa, you know. So, um, and from there, every year, I took a different set of students. We went to Barcelona, um, Japan, Egypt, Costa Rica, and then this year, I took some students to China. We just came back from China. Um, not a lot of students, but it doesn't take a lot of people to change the world. Um, those students and their families have been changed through this program. Um, even the testimonies through the families, the, the grandmothers, the mothers, the fathers, the aunts, cousins, they testify to how, you know, these students are the first students sometimes to fly anywhere they're definitely the first students to go abroad in their family. And they're the first students to have um, passports and, you know, and they have to let their students go. They have to believe and have faith 
that I will take those students over to these countries and bring them back mm-hmm. unscathed. You know, they're going to be different students. It, it Travel changes all of us, so you know it changes those students. Um, we're just planting a seed of change and making sure that these students understand that there's nothing impossible in this world. Yes, we're walking in uh, Paris in April, and yes, you just stepped off a plane from Detroit, and you're walking, you're in China, and they've never seen anybody like you. And yes, they're crying when they see you, and they're so happy to take pictures. They want to take pictures with you, that you are a phenomenon walking this work, you know, walking the earth. And that's what our students, our children, have to understand. And we have to let, we have to make sure they understand it. Sitting in in front of a computer is not making them international. We're being left behind. Our students are being left behind because when we go to those places, we don't see anybody that look like us. Mm-hmm. Very rare, do we? Yeah. You know, what's so weird about when you presented this concept and I was looking at all of the information and what you had, or the videos that you have on YouTube, it just reminded me a couple years back, we did a tour in New York with a lot of rappers from Detroit, right? Mm. And the main guy that I did it with, uh, a couple of us have always have already been to New York. So, you know, Firstborn, Super MC, Killer Khan, we've all been to New York before. Mm. So we're walking through Times Square, right? Right. And as we're walking through Times Square, the four of us look back and almost the, the other people in the group, it was about six of them, they were just still. Because yeah. they never been to Times Square and haven't seen anything like that. You know, one of them was like, I haven't been any other place other than Cedar Point. So I took for granted that like, oh, it's really a lot of Detroiters like that. So it's like as much as I like him as a rapper and he has videos up and it's just like what you said on YouTube and everything and he's a pretty well-known rapper, he still really hasn't been outside the circle of Detroit. And it it's overwhelming because I thought to myself, if I've never been to Times Square and I'm like 25 and I went to Times Square and I see it like a week before the ball drop. So right. it's, you know, everything's blocked off and they have these big steps and it's the lights and everything's going and it's like mm-hmm. sensories just, I'm like, wow, that probably does kind of shock you where you may not necessarily be walking fast as I'm just like, all right, we got to get to this show because, you know, I'm going through. It just was weird looking back at it. And it's that same interconnection between us and a lot of those artists that were on that New York trip yeah, that we went on. Right. You know? And uh, with that, how how have the students since then, 2007, was, in my mind, really close. But in the mind of if you were in high school in 2007, that <laughs> seems like it was eons ago or yeah. whatever. But how, how have the relationships and how have those students been just looking at travel and their, their journeys in life? And I'm sure that some of them will be there at the documentary, but... How have they embraced and how has that changed specifically some of the males that were on that trip? Well, um, not to give away a lot of things in the documentary, but um, some of the parents and some of the students testified that when they, the, the students, when they went off to college, it was easier for them to deal with different cultures uh-huh. because they had been dropped down into a culture that they had to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me why I don't take them 
to, you know, New York or this, that, and other, because I want to take them over to see masterpieces. And they talk about when they go into classes, they already, they know about a lot of things that people don't think that they should know. Mm-hmm. Um, when things about Egypt come up and they can say, and they're talking about Egypt, they say, oh, I seen that. You know, mm-hmm. I was in uh, King Tut's tomb. Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, you weren't. And they come back with a slideshow. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because every student has to keep a photo journal and a written journal when they go on these journeys. Um, but, you know, I don't track the students, but they keep up with me. And mm-hmm. they, they let me know that, you know, that they appreciate, you know, the community coming together and sending them to these places and their families too. Um, a, a few students have studied abroad mm. in college, mm-hmm. and I was so happy, you know, to hear that that they've went on and able to travel and go places. Sometimes an opportunity would come up, and nobody had a passport but that student, mm. and they was able to capitalize on that opportunity. So that's good. That's good. And that brings me to the question about you. What was the first place internationally you traveled? Other than Canada, because everybody in Detroit's like Canada. <laughs> in your I life, I don't even think Canada was my first place. <laughs> For real, I oh, think um, it might have been Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica! Yeah. Oh, that's a good first place to start off with. Oh yeah, I think it was Jamaica. Then went over to Mexico. Then um, after nine eleven hit, the next year they had these cheap tickets to Paris. I mm-hmm. jumped on it, you know. I jumped okay. on the plane and went to Paris. That's cool. That's cool. Now, with all this conversation about the artistry and the connection, I'm gonna close out with two final questions that I always ask. The <laughs> first question that I have is, if you could rename Woodward after any Detroiter, who would you rename it after? Mayor Young. Okay, we've gotten that name before. Why? Because he changed the scope of this city. And the reason why people think that Detroiters are proud, he is the reason. Mm -hmm. We don't care what we go through. We still love this city. This still is our city. And we're going to always keep our head up and we're going to keep it pushing. We're going to keep creating. We're going to keep it moving. Okay. Now, the second question is very unique, but I love sports and I love music. So I always say it like this. And actually, we got a big one coming up. If you were heading into a boxing match and you had some walkout music, <laughs> what song would be the Jocelyn Rainey boxing match title <laughs> that you would walk out to? What song? <laughs> what song? That is a setup. I, uh. Feet don't fail me now. I got you. <laughs> I don't know. Feet don't fail me I now. I believe I can fly. Okay. We're going to go with Feet Don't Fail Me Now. We all fall down. See, she got two really different songs. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go out to We All Fall Down to a. The Mothership. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely great having this interview. Thank you for your time. Is there anything you want to say for people to get in contact with you? If people's like, I want to go to this, I want to go to that. How do I get in contact with her? 
Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Jocelyn Rainey, FML313. That's Finding Mona Lisa 313. We um selling these t-shirts to help with the um um with the event. Okay. And so just just hit us up on social media. We out there. You could Google it. FML313. Thank you so much. Thank you.